Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are in the world. This is Augie of the Blago Blabber podcast. I would like to welcome everyone to yet another episode of the show. Uh, today, I'm going to take a look at the transfer deadline day. So this is going to be mostly just transfers that happen on that last day. And kind of going to look forward to what we can expect in the final two and a half, three months of the Premier League season. The reason why I say Premier League season is because all of the most important transfers, biggest transfers happen in the Premier League. feels like La Liga and Bundesliga and Serie A weren't even around um, in these last five, six days. I think um, Skriniar, Skriniar, or however you pronounce his name, um, going to PSG, I think is a is a big deal, but that's you know, in, in, um, in, uh, July. So once the season has concluded, so I think that's a big transfer for PSG. Um, and then they had the, uh, Hakim Ziyech, uh, transfer kind of fall apart. Um, the latest I read is a computer error that didn't send, uh, the papers over to, I think Chelsea to fill out for the official, uh, signing of the deal or whatever the final step is. So, uh, that's from what I read literally 10 minutes ago. So um, always interesting how there's something going on with a paperwork or whatever it is um, that kind of fails a team in order to sign a player. And um, Ziyech has, from what I've read, is pretty mad about the entire thing because he wasn't in, in Chelsea's plans anymore and uh, he wanted to get out. Um, so I'm going to actually start with Chelsea. So uh, Enzo Fernandez. Goes to Chelsea, 121 million euros. So they've been kind of flirting with each other for the last month. And I think even prior to the transfer window opening in, let's say, December, there were talks about Chelsea possibly signing Enzo once the window opened. And I thought this was going to get done really early in the window. And we literally waited for the last five minutes of the transfer window for this to finally get sealed and delivered. Uh, he had an excellent World Cup where he really made a name for himself. And I think this is where a lot of people uh, kind of found, figured it out and found out who he was. I was familiar with his name, but I didn't know too much too much about him. It's kind of like the Shaquille O'Neal meme. Um, I apologize, I wasn't familiar with their game uh, meme. So I, I knew of Enzo playing for, for Benfica. I just wasn't sure the type of player he is and what he brought to the table. And goodness, he proved a lot of what he can do at the world cup for Argentina, where he was excellent for them. You can argue that he was, you can argue that he was the second or third best player behind Messi. And then you could have like, you know, McAllister there. And obviously uh, Martinez, the goalkeeper you have up there as well, but he was excellent for them. And yeah, like I said, the Chelsea had just held talks with Benfica the entire month. They try to kind of stamp it out. Chelsea wasn't willing to meet the 120 million euros that, um, that Benfica wanted for the player and, you know, they tried to bring the price down, but in the end he goes for 121 million euros. So when you take a look at this winter, Chelsea brings in Mudrik, who's 70 million, um, Badia Schiel, who's 38, uh, Maduuke, 35 million, and Gusto, 30 million, and plus a few others that they brought in. So Gusto is going to stay on loan uh, at Lyon, which is the club that he came from until the end of the season. And Chelsea just kept on adding players from 
last summer to this winter and they just didn't stop whatever they needed feels like they went out and got um the question is obviously how does everyone fit when players start to get healthy uh they had a lot of players out and they still do uh currently out due to injury so how do all these players that they brought in fit in so now the obvious the obvious thing is they're gonna have uh an exodus in the summer right they're gonna get rid of a lot of guys and we'll see what happens with with uh ZH's transfer to psg i th- as of right now i think it's completely off and it's not gonna happen um but he's he's a guy who's gonna probably leave obama yang um connor gallagher the Timo Werner already had left. Um, Kai Havertz is another player, and I think they're just gonna they're gonna have to get rid of a lot of a lot of players. Um, There's already talk about Koulibaly could possibly possibly leave. The goalkeeping situation is kind of all over the place as well, um, with Kepa there and Mendy and and um, Slonina as well. So we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, they're gonna. They're gonna have to have a, a max exodus uh, come this this summer or next summer, I should say. And again, um, the ZH transfer to PSG kind of fell apart, which threw a wrench to their plans. And Conor Gallagher, we heard that Newcastle was interested in him, but he didn't want to leave, so um, that forced uh, Jorginho to Arsenal, which is actually the next topic that I'm gonna cover. So I wasn't a fan of the signing because of where he's coming from Chelsea arrival we've done a lot of business with Chelsea in the last seven or eight years which I'm not a fan of like most Arsenal fans aren't fans of um but now that he's here you know you have to back him and I think that's the most important part uh I believe in Mikel a lot more than I believe in Edu I'm still I'm still not completely sold on Edu I'm I'm just really not there's been way too many years where he's left us out to dry and I'm not going to forget those where we could have made a run for top four where we didn't where we didn't sign players where we signed players who didn't fit the profile of the players that we needed and just transfer windows where we didn't sign anyone or players of bad quality which I could have told you not to sign those players so that's still I still he's going to need a lot of assurances to, to prove to me that he's still the guy going forward so I believe in Mikel a lot more than I do with Edu. And I'll just say that right right off the top. So in Jorginho's case, brings a ton of experience, which is exactly what this what this club needs. Uh, Arsenal, are, Arsenal are in unfamiliar territory, so to say, because they haven't been in a title race in a very long time. I think there was a year, six, seven years ago, or maybe even longer than that, where they were kind of close. Uh, but the tail off towards the end, go figure. That's kind of been the story of Arsenal the last 10 years where, you know, they they play really good the entire season and then end of February, March approaches and then they lose a bunch of games, which you saw last season. Uh, that run against Brighton, Southampton, I think Tottenham was in there and someone else where they lost three in a row. And that really hurt the team's chances of finishing top four. So one Champions League title, one Europa League title and one Euro title for Jorginho and I think all those came within like three years of each other like all in three years or maybe even it was even two years because I think he won he won the Champions League and the Euro Cup with Italy so with team and country um 
I think he's I think he'll be a solid replacement if if Jacques and Partey if they need a rest. And I think that's the big thing here. We had no cover at that position unless you wanted to wanted to throw Zinchenko in there who will be who would be playing out of position, but I would um I like Zinchenko on on the on the left flank. You could have done the same thing with Ben White where you could have thrown Ben White as a defensive midfielder. I know he played a bit at the position in Brighton and I think even in previous clubs uh, he had some CDM roles as well. But I think that now that you get a player whose natural position is central defensive midfielder, I think that kind of you know puts that to rest and he's going to be the replacement for either of those two players if they're out. Uh, I think he's also a great player that you can throw on late in matches where you're up, right? Where you need to um, maybe hold on to the ball a little bit more, which he can do very well. He can place a pass really well, actually. So we saw, we usually see what, what happens with Arsenal is if, if we're in the final six, seven minutes of a, of a match or, or if we're just in added time, Mikel usually throws on holding and they go with five at the back uh, or they play with three, three central um, center back. Sorry. I think Jorginho is going to be one of these players that we're going to see in matches when Arsenal is up, you know, two, one, three, two, one nil with four or five minutes left. He could pause. He would, he could obviously come on with half an hour left, but I think if he's in, if he's an, an unused sub late into the match, I think he's definitely a player you could throw on. And again, this is where the experience comes in, right? Winning stuff at club level, winning stuff with international level. Uh, he brings that experience, and I think that's going to do well for, for the team here. And like I said, he can pick out a pass. Defensively, he's obviously not the best. But I think if you have him along with Xhaka and Partey in the midfield, I think you're I think you're fine. And you could kind of give him a free roll, kind of what like Paul Pogba played at Juventus for forever, right? You can kind of give him that free roll where you can link up with the with the forwards and and try to make something happen. And then obviously he's a he's a good penalty kick taker. He does a little hop step, which I'm not a fan of as at all, which a lot of people aren't a fan of. And Bukayo Saka is obviously the um, penalty kick taker for Arsenal. So we'll see what happens in that uh, department. And just some other Arsenal news: uh, they loaned out Lakonga to Crystal Palace, which is also I think a good move because. Uh, he does need playing time, and he wasn't getting that at Arsenal. A lot of people had some stuff to say when he walked off the pitch against Manchester City and didn't clap off the fans. Stuff like that happens. He's a kid, you know. You allow you allow it to to slip once. You you let it slide once, but it can't happen more than once. So I think a lot that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I didn't really take too much out of it. Uh, it was a tough loss for Arsenal, where they played really well. And it was just that one chance for, for Manchester City that got them the win in the FA Cup. So overall, um, again, I, I don't really like Jorginho, but I like the fact that everything that he brings, right? Like like the quality, the the he can be a guy that you kind of throw on to the match and or he can start matches if Jaka or, or Partey need a uh need a need a match off. And we'll see what happens with Partey and his injury. So maybe Jorginho already plays against Everton. Who knows, right? So we'll see what happens with that. But overall, I, I mean, I think it's a solid uh, addition to the club. I think, obviously, being experienced, he's 31 years old. He's signed, I believe, a two-year contract. So, you know, it takes him up to 33. And after that, we'll see what happens. Uh, Felipe and John Joe Shelby signed for Nottingham Forest. So not, Nottingham Forest pretty much doing everything they can to stay up. I think they're about six or seven points clear of 
um, 17th place or 18th or so there's 20 teams. Yeah. 18th place. So they've done a really good job with what I've been impressed with. It's when you see clubs spend the way that Nottingham Forest has, I think it's usually they just bring in a large number of experienced players who are kind of towards the end of their careers. And then you're at this point, you're just kind of throwing money at them, hoping that you can kind of stay up. I think Nottingham Forest has done a great job of getting young players and like a blend of of younger players. So Gibbs White, who's 22, Danilo's 21, who came over from Brazil. Uh, Renan Lodi is 24, but he he has a lot of experience playing at, at um, Atletico Madrid. And then the experienced players, right? Like like Fro, uh, Froler, 30, Felipe, 33, Shelby's 30, Bolly's 31, and Jesus Navas is, is 36. So... I think Navas is is a big get for them in goal. Uh, they had Dean Henderson, who is out due to injury, I think, for another two weeks, from what I what I've seen and what I've read. And when Dean Henderson comes back, I'm not sure he's going to start over um, Navas. I think Navas is going to be the goalkeeper going forward. And I think that they've again they've done a great job of adding young players, and then players that come with a lot of experience, players that have. Um, kind of one another clubs and played Champions League football, Europa League football, because I think it's very important when you're in that dogfight to kind of stay up, even though they, they look okay as of right now, it's important to have those players in your squad. And they've invested a ton of money, and I think it'd be a shame if they were uh, to get relegated. Again, they're a club that has some history, right? So, um, and I've always been someone who said, I'd love when clubs with history playing the top tier, right? Like there's oftentimes what'll happen is there's only so many teams, right? That you can have in, in top tier football. And, um, I think that, uh, clubs with history playing top, top flight is obviously the best. Um, Liverpool, they didn't do too much of anything in the final. Well, they did nothing in the final day. Um, Luis Diaz and Diego Jota are slated to come back at the end of February. So, they should be back for the return leg against Real Madrid. Now, the question is, will that be too late? Depending on what happens in the first match. And to be fair, Real Madrid hasn't been that great in, in the last... Probably, I guess, since, since the World Cup ended. They just haven't looked really good. A bunch of draws. They've won some matches, but they just haven't looked the same. Um, and Liverpool as a whole, I just feel like they've given up on the season kind of thing. I think it'll be difficult for them to make Champions League, and I don't think they're really they really care for Europa League that much. Like if they get there, great. But if they don't, I don't think they're gonna, you know, sweat over it too much. And and I I just don't feel like they're they're really worried about it. It's been pretty much a season from hell from them. I would say a ton of injuries. I don't think that you can even and you know you understand that that. Injuries happen, but like they've just been completely killed with injuries. Uh, not having a Sadio Mane's replacement, I think, has hurt them as well. Like not no one to really step up for him. And as of right now, they are ten points behind. Uh, ten points behind Manchester United for fourth. So, and they have a game in hand. So let's say they win that, so they'd be ten, seven points. I think that's a lot to overcome. They just haven't been able to get into any kind of form um, this entire season. 
you know, it's one of few matches and then you lose and you draw and then it just kind of repeats itself throughout the entire season for them. So it's been a rough season. Like I said, they've had a ton of injuries, a ton of injuries. And I just don't, I really don't see them um, getting into that uh, top four position. And, and I said, you know, they haven't been able to find Sadio Mane's replacement, but they still scored 34 goals in 19 matches. They've just conceded 25, which is a lot, right? And they've had a lot of guys in and out of the, you know, the back line. So it really has been um, a season from hell for Liverpool. And from what I've read recently, and, you know, they're preparing for Jude Bellingham bid in summer of 2023. We'll see how that goes. Um, I think Real Madrid are in that race now. Liverpool are, I think Manchester City are going to be interested in Jude as well. I think they've hit a bit of a wall here with the players that they currently have in the roster, which I'm going to talk about uh, very soon is actually the next uh, topic that I'm going to cover. But I think if Manchester City enters that race, I think it's going to be really tough for Liverpool or anyone else uh, to, to pry them away from Manchester City. So uh, Manchester City, uh, completely quiet yesterday. Uh, Joao Cancelo, loan to Bayern Munich with a 70 million euro option to buy after the loan. So reports suggested that Cancelo distanced himself from Pep and the rest of the team after the World Cup. Uh, he was displeased with the amount of playing time that he was getting. I've also read that a bunch of players have been displeased with the amount of time that they're getting. So guys like Kyle Walker, uh, Joao Cancelo, I think Laporte was one of them as well, and Bernardo Silva. So that's like 30% of the starting lineup, 40 so that's a lot of guys that aren't pleased with the amount of playing time that they're getting. And City, kind of like Real Madrid, they haven't really looked the same since the World Cup. And I had a theory about this that I've kind of been thinking about. That There's a lot of players on City's roster who really didn't get to kind of like fulfill their objectives with their national teams at the World Cup. So, and I feel like it's it's kind of carried over into the season for the players. And you can kind of see that. Like, like De Bruyne and, and Belgium were terrible. You know, after the Belgium's win over Canada, De Bruyne said he got mad at the matches because of his name. And I think he's actually right about that. I don't think he played well at all. Um, Ruben Diaz, Portugal wanted to go a lot further. And you can include Bernardo Silva in that. You can include... Joao Cancelo, who didn't um, play as much as he thought he would at the World Cup. Um, Jack Grealish with with England, Phil Foden with England. You know, you have a bunch of players with England there. Kyle Walker, John Stones, so on and so forth. Ederson with Brazil, even though Ederson wasn't the starting goalkeeper, but, you know, he's still on the roster. So, like, there's a lot of players who didn't really achieve much of anything at the World Cup, and I think that's kind of carried over. Like, that poor form has carried over into this season. Which is something new new to us, right? Because we've never really we we've we've never had a World Cup at this time of the year, right? In the middle of the season. So it's kind of like there's no time to kind of recuperate and get yourself together because you're it was something like a week after the World Cup they went back to club football, right? At least Premier League. So there's no no time to kind of re energize and, and slowly get back on the pitch. It was just kind of throw you into the fire and then you, you have to start again, right? And I feel like that's kind of played a big role for this Manchester City team. 
And it, like I said, it hasn't happened to many teams, at least not that I can kind of notice, but I think it's hit City very hard. And they've found it very difficult to kind of get this together. And there's been talks about Pep. Is he going to stay on as manager? Is he going to go somewhere else? I think Brazil was interested in him. He said if Barcelona calls, he's going. So there's a lot of stuff to kind of talk about when it comes to um, Manchester City. And I don't think anyone thought that Arsenal would be in, in the position that they're in. And certainly no one thought City was going to uh, struggle as much as they have this season. Uh, Manchester United signs um, Sabitza on loan. I think it's a good placement replacement for Ericsson, who's going to be out for a while, I think probably until the end of the season, late April. And United just got it done really quickly. As soon as they found out about the injury, uh, they made contact to Bayern Munich and they got Sabitza uh, in. And their push for the title, or at least finishing top two, kind of continues, right? Like they're at 39 points right now. And they're fourth. Newcastle is third with 39 as well. And Manchester City is second with 45, Arsenal first with 50, and a game less than the aforementioned teams. And that that third to about third to eight is separated by nine points. So it's not that much. Right? And then you have Liverpool and Chelsea who are ninth and tenth respectively, and they have twenty-nine points. So it's it's all kind of one win could cost you, right? Like we and we've seen this before. And the biggest surprise there are Newcastle in third and Brighton in sixth and Fulham in seventh. So there is a lot of surprises this year, probably more than any other year that I can remember, apart from Leicester City winning it a number of years back. But, you know, Newcastle, we thought was going to take a step this season. I don't think we thought they were going to be this good. They only have one loss, which is tied for Arsenal with the least amount of losses in the Premier League, right? And they've only conceded 11 in 20 games. So, um... And Manchester United has been on crazy form since the World Cup. And even, I think a bit prior to World Cup, they were in good form as well. And they're rolling and I'm I'm surprised because usually it takes a manager, especially that's new to the Premier League, sometimes time to adjust, like a year or two at least. Ten Hag's done an ex- excellent job. And whenever the season is done, wherever they finish, I assume they're going to finish top five at least, uh, he'll be up for the for the manager of the year award for sure. Uh, last topic, Everton in crisis. So they did nothing. Um, Plus lost Anthony Gordon to Newcastle. Club is in complete disarray. Uh, Players sitting out of training who thought they were going to get sold. So Anana and Anthony Gordon did that. Anthony Gordon left. Anana's still in the roster, in the squad. So he's going to be there for the rest of the season. And they've spent, they've just spent a lot of uh, money the past few seasons, but have really nothing to show for it. Uh, they're a tough out at home usually, and even that's kind of deteriorated this season as they sit 19th, tied on 15 points with Southampton, who's 20th, and they also have the least amount of wins in the league with three, and the third most losses with 11. Only scored 15 goals, conceded 28 in 20 matches, minus 13 goal differential and 15 points, like I said. So. I think that that they're I think that they're going to get relegated. I think that Everton will get relegated. The teams that are kind of around him did business. Like Bournemouth did some business. Southampton, even though I don't think Southampton is staying up, they did some business. Leeds brought in some players. Leicester City brought in some players. And when you take a look at the standings, Southampton twentieth with fifteen points, and 
Leicester City's 14th with 18 points. So three points separate 14th from 20th. That's very close. Very close. And you have Leeds in that category. You have West Ham. You have Wolves. So it's going to be a very interesting last two months, two months of the season. But I don't think Everton has enough um, to, to stay up. And they just hired Sam Deitch, who has was more of a defensive coach and was at Burnley for nine and a half seasons. A lot of that, if not all, that was in the Premier League as well. And he was able to get some huge wins during some of those seasons with Burnley and the minimal you know, money being invested into the team. So there's something to be said about that, but I just I, I can't see I can't see Everton uh, staying up. Like I said, I think the club is just in complete disarray. They fall into the lowest that they've been at least since I've been following football. Like I can't remember it being this bad off the top of my head, but yeah, they're just uh, just all over the place, and they're next. Um. Five matches or so, they have Arsenal at home, Liverpool away, Leeds at home, Aston Villa at home, and then they have Chelsea. And so they have che- they have a run of Chelsea, Spurs, Manchester United, and Fulham. Fulham in, what is that, like four matches? So that's that that's going to determine whether they're going to stay up or not. They're going to need at least six points from those four matches. So Chelsea, Spurs, United, and, and Fulham. I think they're going to need at least six points from that. So yeah, and... That's basically uh, how it worked out. I think that the the last day of the window is always interesting. There's always transfers that go around. There's always stuff that happens that maybe transfers don't get done. And that happened this year as well. Uh, Pedro Porro, who went to Tottenham as well, was kind of talked about for a week and a half to two. And then it finally ended up happening. But there were some doubts with the pay. I think the pay structure... And yeah, it was just a it was just a weird thing, and like the whole thing with Enzo Fernandez, and then you, when you take a look at Mudrik with Arsenal, like there was a lot of stuff that happened this window. It feels like more so than any other window. Um, so yeah, that's the episode for today. Thank you guys for listening. Remember, you can listen to this podcast on Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. Um, February will be a busy mo- month for me. There's still NBA trade deadline. Um, I'm going to take a look at some players who could be on the move. I'll be doing that podcast soon. There's the Champions League stuff that I need to do. There's going to be a recap of the trade deadline in basketball. So um, February is going to be a very busy month. Uh, Once again, I'd like to thank you guys for listening and we'll catch up again uh, down the road.